Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, I'm Dave Kelch. And I'm Warwick Johnson. Welcome to Cinema Stalgia. Where we rewatch movies from our childhood and see if they really are great or if time has passed them by. It's time to get nostalgic with your old pals Dave and Warwick from Independence Day to Platoon. Cinema nostalgia is starting soon. Yes, cinema nostalgia is starting soon. Have some fun with them. They're watching movies from stuff that makes you laugh to stuff that's spooky. You want to listen? Well, don't have a cow. Cause cinema nostalgia is starting now. Yes, cinema nostalgia is starting now. Now, Dave and Warwick, come on out, take a bow. Cause cinema nostalgia is now. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode two of Cinema Nostalgia with uh, your host, Dave Kelch. And Work Johnson. Yeah. So, uh, this episode's movie is going to be Demolition Man, The Mystery of the Three Seashells. <laughs> this movie was released in 1993, uh, directed by Marco Brambilla, and it stars Rocky, Sylvester Stallone, Blade, Wesley Snipes, and the bus drivers from Speed, Sandra Bullock. That's oh, right. also along with Dennis fucking Leary. The uh, the cast alone for this movie is absolutely bonkers, and that's <laughs> what makes it so good. The fact that Rob Schneider is in the same film as Nigel Hawthorne just blows my mind. Right. And then you've got uh, Benjamin Bratt yep. from the Law and Order franchise. At a who... time when Benjamin Bratt was more famous than Sandra Bullock. So now, Warwick, you chose this movie for this week. Yes, so, uh, uh, I did. I... Um, it's funny because uh, when I was growing up, um, you know, we had uh, we had a VHS player, which is, of course, what like everybody had back right. in the day. Um, but we didn't have very many VHSs. Um, but one of the films that we owned was Demolition Man. And right. so we had it on VHS and we watched this movie all the time. I loved this movie as like a kid. So it came out in 93. So I was still like eight, nine. Which is great. I mean, like, you know, it's it's not like there's language in it, sure, but it's not like insanely gory violent and like there's one brief brief nudity. Yeah. Um so it was like a movie that my mom was like, Yeah, this is this is fine. You can watch this, that's not a problem. <laughs> my background with this movie is I would have been fourteen, thirteen, fourteen, depending on when in the year it was released. Yeah, I remember actually pretty sure I saw this movie in theaters. And being the like sci-fi buff that I am, I just remember enjoying it. And its vision of the future is so interesting. Yeah, I think that's interesting is a good way to put it. Uh, it's completely fucking insane is the other way that I would put it. Getting into the movie itself. So yeah. when it starts, we are set in 1996. So only, like, I think it was filmed, like we said, filmed in 92. So it's only four years beyond the present day. And I remember 1992. I mean, I didn't live in Los Angeles. And I do know that the crime in L.A. in the 90s was a huge problem. I mean... Early 90s especially, yeah. yeah. 
And I mean, also around the time there's the uh, riots and yep. stuff too was a big deal in Los Angeles. Not not in '92, but a little bit before. To start the scene off, the Hollywood <laughs> sign is just in flames, uh, and they're flying this helicopter into the part of the town that Simon Phoenix, uh, Wesley Snipes' character, has taken over, and yeah. him and his gang run it, and they kill people that go into that territory. He kidnaps uh, a bus. Yeah. Yeah. A, a city bus goes into the part of town that Simon Phoenix controls. So he hijacks it and he takes all of the passengers hostage. And that's yeah. what, what that's what draws Sylvester Stallone, the demolition man. Yes. John Spartan. One of the best action movie names, I think. Well, it's funny since, you know, we just rewatched it recently. Ooh, it's kind of like, isn't Master Chief in Halo? His name is John and he is also a, a Spartan. Spartan. <laughs> and I'm like, are the guys from Bungie 343, you know, I mean, originally Bungie originally for Bungie. Halo. I mean, were they Demolition Man fans? God, and they're like, we're so. going to call these people Spartans. And the Master Chief, the main character, we're going to call him John. He's John Spartan. John Spartan. <laughs> He's a genetic Maybe. ancestor of the <laughs> yeah. Master Chief. Yeah. So, yeah. Nice. We open, and Spartan is heading into this section of town to go rescue the hostages. A helicopter that's piloted by diehard's Special Agent Johnson. So once again, flying a helicopter. I would want to ask him, if I ever met him, do you actually know how to fly a helicopter? Because you were typecast in these roles for some reason. So anyway, so they go in, and there's like... It's you oh, know, yeah. a hot LZ, as I believe they would say. It's a firefight. Uh, John Spartan is basically bungee jumping yes. into this like abandoned warehouse that has like all these loose fires going on, and there's dudes shooting at him with automatic weapons. John Spartan has a handgun, yeah, and he kills like four or five guys with automatic weapons on this rooftop. That's crazy. Like, how bad at shooting are people in this film? Because it's really. They're, like, if you drank every time somebody missed a, uh, like missed <laughs> who they're shooting at, you would just be completely drunk. So, yeah. So, I mean, then we, we get to the point where he makes his way through the building, confronts Simon Phoenix. And I believe this is the point at which where he's doused everything in, oh, yeah, in gasoline, gasoline and basically goads Spartan into attacking him. And Spartan gets the upper hand, captures him, but... They the gasoline does get ignited and all the other explosives, so basically the building goes up in flames. Yep, everything explodes. But he, uh, Sylvester Stallone, gets out of the building with Simon Phoenix in tow and has captured him. So then comes perhaps one of my honestly favorite parts of the movie because it creates a great headcanon for me that <laughs> Demolition Man and Lethal Weapon exist in the same universe. <laughs> I'm not sure what the character's name is in Demolition Man. I don't even know if he ever gets a name. Yeah. I mean, he maybe have a name in the credits or something, but no one refers to him by name on screen. So mm -hmm. I prefer to believe that the guy who shows up, it is the police captain yep. from Lethal Weapon. Like all of the Lethal Weapon movies. His name is... I believe Steve Cahan and he's, you know, that's like his thing is playing a grizzled police captain who has to deal with officers and detectives who do all this shit yeah, <laughs> that and... he just does not approve of and causes problems for him. And he just starts chewing out Spartan because you're like, your assault was unauthorized and all this. But 
what I love to believe is that these two movies exist <laughs> in the same universe. And this guy has just had the worst career. Because yep. first he had to deal with Riggs and Murtaugh, <laughs> and now he's got to deal with John Spartan. Yeah, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it means like an alternate reality where something happens to Riggs and Murtaugh. They're not around to keep law, like <laughs> to keep law and order. And so this is what happens, Chief, when you don't let them go out and get results. Um, but yeah, he, he's basically playing the exact same role here. And it's just like, well, what are all the hostages? And Sloan's like, oh, they're not here. You know, he must have stashed them someplace else. And then all of a sudden, some guy shows up and he's just like, oh, there's bodies everywhere. <laughs> and it's just like, what? Like, so a different part of the building that, again, John Spartan blew up, apparently was where the hostages were. Yep. So. And so, yeah, he gets charged with, like, 38 counts of manslaughter. manslaughter. Yeah. And consecutive sentencing. And uh, at his, the trial, and also this is another thing because it's like, you know, 1996, yep. only three to four years after filming slash release. And they have like changed over the justice system in California completely to a like cryogenic prison system. <laughs> I, that, that's what they do with their worst offenders now is that they freeze them. And then you find out later that while they're frozen, they're rehabilitated. They have, you know, programming that gets pumped into their brains while they sleep, and it's supposed to, you know, rehabilitate them. That's all well and good. However, I have to point this out. When you lock someone up in a regular prison, time passes and they get older, and then they learn the error of their ways or whatever. But then when they get released from like a 30-year sentence for killing someone, they are old men, you know, they uh, they're less likely to do things because they're not like young and impetuous or whatever. Right. With a cryo penitentiary, <laughs> you are freezing someone that's like a 20 year old kid that like robbed and murdered somebody. And then when he wakes up after 30 years for for killing for committing murder, he's still a 20 year old kid that still <laughs> has the capability to go out and murder people. Like yep. it's not you're not you're not releasing. You know, this is like if you were to release like Red or Brooks from Shawshank Redemption, but they're they're like, you know, 20 year old selves right. that still are still completely physically capable. You know, well, I mean, a lot of times these criminals that will go into the system are in like peak physical condition yeah. or they're like really dangerous, violent, physically uh, un, you know, uncontrollable people. <laughs> Simon Phoenix is like because he's Wesley Snipes. So he's like the super, you know, martial arts, like rip dude. And you freeze him and then you unthaw him later. He's still a super ripped dude. Like It's like, you know, time. He hasn't gotten all soft and doughy in prison. Like yeah. Now he's still like, well, now he's ripped and he's ready to like karate chop people to death. Yeah. It's like, this is the flaw in the system. Right. So anyway, Spartan gets sentenced to, it's uh, like It's a, a long time. It's like 40 years. years? Yeah. It's No, no. Because only 40 years has passed and Spartan's not up for parole. So I think he's yeah. sentenced for like 60 years in the cryo penitentiary. And so that's like the uh, sequence that we get where, you know, of course he's naked, mm -hmm. you know, and they fill the uh, little, they essentially turn the uh, them into like, Hockey pucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're, like, they're hockey puck shaped. Yeah. I guess to easily transport them, you can just slide them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and like he gets in and they pour this like liquid gel thing into the like container that he's in mm. and they fill it like all the way up before they freeze it. So I'm just like, this seems 
terrifying. Yeah. Like, if you're in there and you're like, uh, I guess I'm drowning, and then they freeze you. Yeah, they don't sedate them at all. So no, like, he's awake, and he's thrashing about. Don't we have an amendment about cruel and unusual punishment? But this, they're like, nah, it's totally cool. We'll just drown him a little bit, <laughs> freeze it, that'll be fine. It's like, oh, so you're freezing people when they're terrified. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, it's like, I mean, I just love the technology in this, because... It is so far ahead of what was even remotely possible yeah. in 1992. Because it's basically like there's like a little tiny glowing blue pellet. Yeah. That they drop in and then just freezes everything freezes instantly. Freezes everything in, yeah, instantaneously. And they're like, let's pump everything into cryogenic like research. <laughs> right. And so that got all of the money. And so it's like, we don't have a National Guard to take care of these gangs. All we got is this one guy. Oh, he blew up a bus. Okay, well, I guess we have to freeze him. And then 40, almost 40 years have passed. To the distant future of 2032. Right now, we are closer to 2032 than we are to 1996. Right. So think about that. We are, we are past the halfway point <laughs> to the Demolition Man future. In that time span, everything about civilization in Los <laughs> Angeles changes. And that's one thing that's also not made clear in the movie is this just the world of San Angeles that they have created for the movie, which apparently is San Diego, Santa Barbara, and Los Angeles. And, Los Angeles. Yeah. and is life just this way here, or is it totally different in the rest of the country? Because they do mention federal laws and President Schwarzenegger's right, presidential talk, library and stuff like that. about Arnold Schwarzenegger's presidential library, which is, again, this movie was filmed before he ever became a politician. So, like, that's yeah. kind of like a funny thing. Weirdly prophetic. Yeah, right? They don't allow swearing. There's no red meat. Uh, there's no physical contact, really, of any kind. So, like, sex between like consenting adults is completely forbidden it's all done in, like in test tubes yeah, yeah it's basically. all done in test tubes can you imagine if you came in from cleveland and you're like i'm gonna visit st angeles and all of a sudden they're just like <laughs> no you and your wife can't have sex you can't do these things when you're here and like a, a, they give you a ticket every time you say like shit that's insane to me so it has to be like the society of the united states has broken down to the point that there's like city states yeah, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of, but they're still loosely affiliated into the United States where there is a president. I mean, maybe things happen because they, I think they reference that there is a large earthquake that happens. Sure. And that's the, yeah, there, well, there, yeah, there's that, the, the great earthquake happened right. in like early 2000s in the film, not in yeah. real life. Don't nobody panic. So in the film, there's this giant earthquake that happened in like 2006. It sank a part of Los right. Angeles underground, but like, okay, so then they rebuild it and they, they, you know, like this, and then Nigel Hawthorne's character, Dr. Cocteau, you know, he's the like savior that comes right. in after, after the destruction. That doesn't change the fact that like there are federal laws that would supersede the stuff that's going on here if the United States as we know it was still operating the same way. I really don't see any of that coming true <laughs> no i think that this movie takes place too close to present day we'll talk about like they had to re-edit and they cut out a bunch of stuff one of the things that they cut out is that john spartan meets up with his daughter i think that's why the movie takes place in 2032 is so that his daughter yeah. was there and she was an adult and of course it's hollywood so you have to hire an attractive woman 
And so I think that's why they made it 2032 and not something like 20, whatever, uh, 78 or something. Yeah. You know, because like if it was significantly into the future, I feel like it'd be a lot easier to understand why this stuff is happening. Yeah. Like the only way that I could probably justify it in the world of the movie is that Cocteau was like, I'm going to rebuild this city and I'm going to make it my way. I'm saying you can't eat hamburgers anymore. You can't swear at anybody anymore. You know, sex is right out. Like, he's just this, like, really weird, super repressed dude. <laughs> and he's like, but I'm the only one that has the money to rebuild this city. So either you guys hang out, you know, in your rubble, or you do it my way, and everybody listens to jingles on the radio from now on. And then only, like, Dennis Leary was just like, nah, fuck you guys. I'm going to go live in the sewers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, so we keep going, and it's... 2032, Simon Phoenix is up for parole. Right. And this is my thing, though. Even with all of the manslaughter counts that John Spartan is convicted of, how the fuck does Simon Phoenix come up for parole before John Spartan? Well, I mean, and we'll find out why. We find out, we find out why, uh, because the, the reveal of who the secret bad guy is actually plays a big part in explaining why this stuff is happening. For one thing, Simon Phoenix should have just been executed. Back in 1996, <laughs> they were obviously still executing prisoners because, you know, there's everything is on fire. Yeah. It's just like they're not that advanced. <laughs> they're like, I don't know about capital punishment. <laughs> but yeah, so he's up for parole and uh, and he escapes. He Because he uh, somehow knows like the access codes to get out of his restraints. Um, and he like straight up murders a bunch of guards and the warden who was who, the warden when, yes. uh, so Sloan got frozen. Cause again, not that much time has passed. Right. And I mean, and it's, it's uh, some pretty gruesome stuff because like to get out, there's like an optical retinal scan and yeah. he like uses a pencil pen. or something, a pen. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Or, it's a pen. It? And he just basically pops the guy's eyeball out. He takes it out really cleanly though. Yeah. Like. I understand whatever movie magic, but like, you know, the eye is like completely intact. It's like perfectly sitting on top of the pen. I'm just like, he did a really good job with that. Yeah. <laughs> the guy, the warden then dies horribly from yeah. his injuries, but still like, yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, he's, he's an artist. Yeah. I mean, he, <laughs> he is an artist of crime. <laughs> so all these murders, because in this future, everybody's got an implant basically mm -hmm. that connects them and their life signs and everything to the, to the computer. Like central computer network. Um, the San Angeles Police Department gets alerts that crimes are being committed. Spe specifically, a code 187, yep. which nobody knows what that is, yep. because apparently murder hasn't happened there for yep. like 20 years. Code 187, the murder death kill. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and of course, Rob Schneider, uh, Bob Gunn, the owl, yep. and uh, the, the grown-up uh, adult version of the helicopter pilot. They're all shocked and astounded and disgusted by this. It's like, oh, my God, a 187 here in San Angeles. Yep. Like, and again, it hasn't happened in 20 years. Yeah, I mean, so they all see this. The one person, though, who is mildly excited by this whole situation is Sandra Bullock. Lenina Huxley, who's a character in Brave New World, and then she's also named after the author of right. Brave New World. Aldous Hux, Huxley. Aldous yeah. Huxley. Yep. 
Uh, so Lenina Huxley is like obsessed with the 20th century. Yep. So she has a lethal weapon poster in her office. See, and that's my other headcanon thing is that in this universe, it's still a shared universe though, because that poster is because there was a documentary film yes. about Riggs and Murtaugh called Lethal Weapon. Lethal and there were Weapon. three of them. Lethal Weapon was a biopic yes. in, this film, in this film universe. So she has all this stuff. Well, and basically, from there's a conversation with Benjamin Bratt, who's a fellow police officer. And a huge that, like, stick in the mud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, works with her. I mean, he basically talks about how everything in her office is contraband. Mm. She's allowed to have it because technically she's confiscated it. Right. So she's keeping it off the streets and away from the public but it's really that she likes it and so she's like so she just has it basically breaking the law kind of but everything in it is contraband it's not like she just has like dildos everywhere yeah no it's like a poster for lethal weapon uh she has like a jar with the snakes in them you know like the <laughs> the, the joke snakes that yes. pop out it's if all that stuff is illegal it's just like why even what are you even doing, society? Like in this weird St. Angeles society, like nobody can have anything. But especially, uh, this scene is really funny because um, you know the, you establish their partner relationship of Benjamin Bratt, who's like follows orders and he's the like goody goody or whatever, and Sandra Bullock is the loose cannon. But like loose cannon in the weird like future way of being a loose cannon, which is just that oh, I like collecting stuff from the from the twentieth century. So finally, they're able to track down Simon Phoenix. And so they have, like, a squadron of cops that are going to, you know, converge on him. And they're going to talk him down. I think this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. In fact, <laughs> I think it might be my actual favorite scene in the movie. Uh, because Phoenix is just, like, out and about. And just, Wesley Snipes is just having so much fun yeah. playing Simon Phoenix. And so just to see him walking around, just fucking with people for, like, no reason... Like, he just takes, like, a dude's hat off and, like, shoves him and things like that. Like, there's all this stuff. Um, and it's funny, though, because, I mean, it's rare. I feel like it's rare since this movie that I've seen a movie where Wesley Snipes actually seems like he's having fun. It's true. <laughs> because, I mean, I want to say this has to be one of my first, like, exposures to him as an actor. I really like Wesley Snipes. I always have, mostly because of this film. And, again, yeah. it's, it, I agree. It's probably the first time that I saw him in anything. And he is just having a blast as Simon Phoenix, and it carries over. It makes the character so much more fun. He's mm -hmm. this awful, vicious sociopath, but it's just like, ah, you kind of, you really like him because he's just really charismatic about it. <laughs> so the cops show up, and of course, wildly ineffectual, and... Yep. Also, though, he's using the computer and he's just like, oh, it's like, it's like I'm possessed. And so he's accessing all these different files and he's looking all this up and he doesn't know what he's doing. But he's, you know, able to access and find everything that he's, he's looking for. And it's all just in his head. And then the cops show up and all of a sudden Simon Phoenix is like super karate guy and he's like able to beat people up and throw them like across the street like they so it's so something happened to phoenix while he was sleeping and now he's like a super soldier well and i also love this scene because i <laughs> i love how the cops they've got like riot shields which they probably have dug out of somewhere but they've never used and they've got their like little halo sticks or whatever they call them yep. i can't remember exactly what they call but let's knock people out 
And the guy who's like trying to confront Simon Phoenix basically has a display computer, like the, oh, yeah. the equivalent of the iPhone, that's telling him how to deal with a violent sociopath. <laughs> and they keep referring to him as Maniac, yeah. which is like, in a firm tone of voice, approach Maniac and said, and say, lie down and put your hands up behind your head. But then, of course, the computer gives him the terrible advice of being like, and add the words or else. <laughs> and I guess that's like, it's like calling Martin McFly a chicken yeah. to Simon Phoenix because he's just like, at first he's just kind of ignoring them or whatever. And then he's just like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I'll have to super murder all of yes. you. Or else what? <laughs> he kills all the cops. He blows up their cars by putting their little halo thing in the fuel cells. Explodes the cars and stuff. Yeah, and then he escapes. And so, you know, very quickly they realize it's like, well, we're completely outmatched. What are we going to do? So they call up Nigel Hawthorne, Dr. Raymond Cocteau. Nigel Hawthorne, for those of you that don't know, uh, is a very famous British uh, stage actor. Yep. He originated the role in Madness of King George of playing King George III. That's the big thing that people know him from because they mm -hmm. did a film version. He played George in that. It's funny because the only reason why Nigel Hawthorne agreed to do this film is because he was inexperienced in cinema, and so he wanted to show that he had screen presence to the producers that were doing the Madness of King George movie. Yeah. The producers were like, well, Nigel Hawthorne is our first choice anyway, so like, <laughs> uh, okay. But it's uh, just hilarious that he did Demolition Man. Yes. Because you see this movie, and yes, it's a fun movie, it's a you know an action flick. But they definitely got somebody way above what they needed to get to play this role. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I could have moved Bob Gunton over to play Dr. Raymond Cocktail. Oh, that would actually be good because I feel like he would have that kind of fit where he's, he's very similar in a way to the warden mm -hmm. from Shawshank Redemption. Yes. And, they're, they're very similar characters yeah. if you look at it because they have this... This facade of yeah. being these righteous men that believe in, you know, that believe in a higher power, that believe in justice, things like that. But underneath it all, no, they're not. They're just as crooked as everybody else that right. they pretend that they're better than. You know, the warden is stealing money and funneling it all like an embezzling. And Dr. Raymond Cocteau, of course, well, we, we will we will get to that. We'll get to we'll get course. to his we'll get to his problems. But yeah, they're they're very similar characters in that idea. That... So anyway, uh, Dr. Cocteau, after they talk to him, it's decided that the best course of action now is because the police of this era have zero understanding and capability to deal with this type of violence. Yes, they're like, well, we gotta find someone from the past who does and oh wait who was the one guy who was able to stop simon phoenix yep john spark and this is what grown-up zachary lamb suggests yeah. because um because sandra bullock is like oh well well zachary how did how did you guys catch him and he says he names all these things off where it's just like oh statewide manhunts checkpoints you know bolos none of them worked in the end it was just one man <laughs> You know, it seems like you're glossing over the fact that, like, a lot of people died <laughs> right. bringing him in. But, like, ignoring that, it's like, you know, a heads up, unless Zachary was like, John Spartan didn't do it. And he's like, you know, whatever, is like a conspiracy theorist about it. I feel like as a cop, though, you should say, like, oh, by the way, uh, like a busload of people died bringing in <laughs> Simon Phoenix with yeah. John Spartan. Because maybe they'd think twice about unthawing right. him. Well, and, and I also, like, in my mind, it also goes 
to a very interesting place of what would they do if they decided not to defreeze uh, John Spartan? Um, I don't. Would Simon Phoenix destroy this entire like civilization, basically, because no one would know what to do? You know, the funny thing is, and I only like. Because eventually you find out why Simon Phoenix was the, was yes. the, the thought, and that was so that he could kill Dennis Leary, just one person. And yeah. we'll get to the reason why later. But if they didn't defrost John Spartan and say they just kind of let Simon Phoenix go, I think a lot less damage would have been done to their civilization. Like if Simon yeah. Phoenix is able to just go and kill Dennis Leary and that's it, and you didn't have John Spartan coming after him, you didn't have all these things, I feel like a lot less people would have died. <laughs> like... It's one of those situations where it's like, well, maybe it's for the best if you just let him get it. Of course, A, you can't put Simon Phoenix back in his box once that happens. So, of course, then he's you've just got him running around as a maniac. And then B, even if, even so, Dennis Leary is not only an innocent man, but he is right. He is the, the only one that's actually speaking sense in this world. And so in a lot of ways, Dennis Leary should be the good guy out of the whole thing. Like, even more so than John Spartan. Yeah. John Spartan and Dennis Lear are both the main, are both the good guys of this movie. Right. Oh, for sure. I think. Um, but anyway, so Simon Phoenix escapes, has decimated the police that were trying to to get him, and they've defrosted John Spartan. Yep. And, and they take him to the police headquarters after they've thought him out, and he is just cannot believe what the world has become. <laughs> This is the best fish-out-of-water story, I think. Especially in an action movie. You know, like, it's a very popular and kind of... It's a very fun thing to play around with. The first Thor movie, for yep. example. And I think this one does it best. Because Sylvester Stallone is just... he. Sylvester Stallone has this amazing ability to really sell how bizarre situations are. Mm -hmm. And yet he's still able to have like a really good like levity about it. So this alone is the best at those like one liners that like kind of talk about the situation. One thing I, on the rewatch that I had forgotten that I really had an appreciation for was Sylvester Stallone's sense of humor and his ability in this movie. And I'm, and of course some of this is definitely the writing, um, but he obviously went along with it being the star that, he is willing to do a lot of self-deprecation in this movie, which mm -hmm. that's a big thing for me. I really appreciate actors, comedians who have that ability to look at themselves and play scenes in a sense that they're the butt of the joke yeah. sometimes or that they're the one who is totally doing something wrong. And I've always thought Stallone is a good actor. But this movie really was like one of those where I'm like, oh, yeah, no, he's actually really funny. And I like that he's willing to poke fun at himself and allow his character to be that fish out of water. Right. And and not take himself too seriously because he totally does not take himself too seriously. Yeah. And uh, Spartan is a great like point of entrance character in this movie because, well, for one thing, again, you know, like things are these things are crazy. They don't have toilet paper. They have three seashells. And his response to that is great, you know, because he 
he finds out that when he swears, like, are you, like, are you shitting me? It spits out a little. You yeah, know. there's all little machines everywhere that basically spit out a ticket. Yeah, like, like you get a speeding tickets. ticket. Yeah. yeah, but they're paper tickets, which yeah. is the important thing. <laughs> um, he finds out they don't have toilet paper; they just have seashells, and everyone like laughs and they're like, "Ah, he doesn't know how to use the three seashells." Yep. Which they never explain it. No, that's why, as we mentioned, the, the subtitle of this movie should the, be The Mystery of the Three Seashells. Um, apparently, uh, Stallone gave an interview uh, afterwards, and he said that his concept of it was that you take two of the seashells, and you like pinch and like pull waste out, and then you use the third one to like scrape the remainder. <laughs> I refuse to believe that that's how they work because that sounds fucking horrible. Yeah, I'm like, if that's the ch- if it's the choice between doing that and never taking a shit again, yeah, I I'm just gonna hold it, man. I just I don't also, know how do you wash the, like it's this is it the same three seashells? How do you wash them? Um, when I was a little kid, I the way that I envisioned it is that underneath the three seashells was like bidets. One is soap, one is water, yeah. and then one dries it. That's what I thought, is that they were seashells, but they weren't actual seashells. The seashells just ah. covered up, you know, the butt stuff. <laughs> That's the way that I envisioned it. All right. Okay. Interesting, because uh, my my theory of the three seashells was always, uh, I mean, a little similar maybe, but mine was that these were because like when you find shells on the ocean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of times, especially if they're still very close to the water, they still have the thing in them mm. that lives in the shell. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, it's these like genetically engineered mollusk oh, invertebrate type okay, things okay. that live in the seashell and you hold it up to your butt <laughs> and like one goes in and like scours all the waste out and then one goes in and like washes and then the last one like does like a disinfectant or like De- and, uh, deodorant type thing <laughs> and then that you move on and it's like there are these like actual organisms inside the seashells yeah i hope no matter how bad civilization gets we don't get to the point where we're like okay i got it let's take a seashell and let's scrape it on our butthole <laughs> to clean it out and then we'll just leave it on a shelf for the next person to scrape their butthole <laughs> That's what I hope. I hope no matter what happens, we're drawing the line here. We're still using paper. (laughs) This brings up a a big point that I want to talk about. Everyone in the future are dicks to Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. And it's not even for, like, a good reason. I I mean, I guess uh, the warden from Shawshank, uh, uh, Bob Gunn, I don't know what his character's name is. (laughs) The owl from Daredevil. Right. The owl has the only is like the only one that where it kind of makes sense about why he's a dick to to Sylvester Stallone because he's like oh he thinks he's barbaric nobody really is angry at Sylvester Stallone or are mean to him because he got thirty people killed. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's very much that they the only reason they treat Sylvester Stallone the way they do is because he's from a different time and therefore he's kind of like a savage and a barbarian to them, and. For all the supposed enlightenment of this culture and, like, no swearing and everything, they are so, so dismissive and so, like, in a way insensitive to the fact that this man is now in an entirely different culture and things have changed completely. Here's the thing. So out of the, let's say, six main cops, right, with, if you count Rob Schneider, Sandra Bullock, Benjamin Bratt. The owl, Zachary Lamb, and then the big fat guy that's there. Right, yeah. At least two of those, maybe the big fat guy, were all 
alive and old enough to remember the way things were before the big earthquake happened. Yeah. Bob Gunton is not a young man, okay? Yeah. He wasn't a young man when he was the warden right. of Shawshank exactly. or this. Like, so he, if you, his character would have been like 20, maybe, yeah. when Spartan was frozen. Maybe he doesn't necessarily know John Spartan's name exactly unless he was like really big into the news, but sure. Doesn't change the fact that he was alive then and he knew what the world was like. This would be like if you and I are like t 20 years from now, if somebody wakes up and they were from like 1993 or something mm -hmm. and we like laughed at them and we're just really like mean and derisive to them because they wanted to wear like acid wash jeans, <laughs> you know, and they were like, well, well it's like, well, I got to find out what happened with the Jurassic Park movies. And then we were just huge dicks to them for <laughs> just for that. And it isn't about his methods, which is what it should be. It should right. be about his methods. It should be about the people that he's hurt. But instead, it's, oh, you're a caveman. You're this relic that we unthawed so that we can use you. Yeah. That's insane to me. Like, that's why I think it should be set. Well, which leads into, like, basically the next main sequence of the movie right. is where they start talking about the cops are asking John Smart, and they're like, well, what do we do? And we, like, we did all these, the computer will do all these projections, and that's how we'll find Simon Phoenix. And he's like, yeah, you're not going to find him like that, because yeah. the most important thing is he's going to go for a gun, because yep. he's a criminal from the 1990s. He's going to want a gun. And they're, again, like, Bob Gunton is totally dismissive and he's like uh that shows what you know you neanderthal there aren't any guns man if he wanted to find a gun he'd have to go to a museum which i'm like yeah of course that's where he's gonna go <laughs> like are you crazy and then of course sylvester stallone is like well we should go to the museum yep. and the next scene is basically wesley snipes going in walking into the museum into the, was it the the Hall of Armory? Or the uh, Hall, the of, hall of Violence. The Hall of Violence. The Hall yes, of Violence. That's right. Which is a great, great name for something. Yeah. Like if I were to write, so if I were to write Justice League, you know, <laughs> I would have, you know, whatever, the Injustice Gang, instead of like hanging out in the swamp, I'd have them build their own Hall of Violence. Yeah. And like that's where they hang out. Right. And so he goes in there and there's all this stuff. There's like relics. There's swords and knives, but there's, there's also cannons. All sorts of, there's cannon, that's right. And he eventually, you know, breaks through the glass. It's like oh. super hard plexiglass. <laughs> he throws a dude through the glass. Yeah. Which is the best. That Like, that's the best part because the guy's like, oh, what's your boggle? And I, I guess that's something else that sets yeah. Simon Phoenix off. And then he just grabs the dude and throws him. How much him, do you weigh? How much do you weigh? <laughs> and then the guy is actually going to answer him. Yeah. Because I'm just like, everybody in the future are just fucking idiots, apparently. <laughs> oh, this guy's kicking this class, and now he's wondering how much I weigh. I'd better tell him what I, what I actually weigh. Right. And this is my other thing, though, is for a culture that doesn't use guns anymore, I can see having them in a museum. Sure. But the other thing that they have, apparently... <laughs> is massive amounts of ammunition <laughs> kept in the museum yeah. with the guns. And I'm like, why would you ever keep ammunition? <laughs> it's like one thing to say, hey, this is a gun. This was a tool that was used to kill people back sure. in history. Uh, we're also going to keep all, like this massive stock of bullets yeah. and shells just in case. I guess. If you go to museums now, you'll see, even if they have a cannon, for example, 
they'll probably have like some cannonballs because yep. you want to like look at them. That's fine. What they don't have is they don't have all the gunpowder, right. the things that you need to fire the cannon. Right. This or, place is like, okay, let's put let's put all these guns that all work, by the way. They right. don't have the firing pins removed or anything like that. These are actual working guns <laughs> and all the ammunition that you need for them. Let's store that all together. That'll be fine. They lock the exhibit down. And how Simon Phoenix gets out is that he fires a fucking cannon through the wall. So it's like... Let's say Simon Phoenix never escaped, never goes there. Okay, These, this place still has all of these explosives in a in a in the museum right. in a place that is prone to gigantic earthquakes. <laughs> like this is such a poorly thought out museum that I'm like, I'm glad Simon Phoenix destroyed it. And it's it, so it's funny because so San Angeles is a combination of Los Angeles, Santa Barbara, and San Diego. The film is entirely filmed in San Diego. Yeah. So like this museum is a is a is a museum in San Diego. All they ever do is drive around the San Diego part, and I'm just like, and so like even the Los Angeles scene in the beginning of the film was filmed in San Diego. Yeah. So it's funny to me that it's like, oh, it's this giant metropolitan, and it's like, no, it's not. It's really this is just this one beach town. Well, and the, one of the great things, um, I've been to San Diego Comic Con mm-hmm. several times. And there was a part, I remember when we were watching it, I was like, they were driving through, supposed to be like somewhere, a futuristic tunnel area. And I'm like, yeah, that's the convention center where San Diego Comic-Con is. <laughs> I recognize it, like, exactly. <laughs> they didn't even, like, try and disguise it. Yeah. It I'm was like, it was fine after the earthquake, so yeah. that's at least good. <laughs> right, yeah. So, I mean, at least, at least Comic-Con survived. Yep. Because, I mean, actually, you got to think, because of their obsession with pop culture... On the way to the museum, uh, because, of course, you know, like we said, John Spartan figures out, hey, that's where he's going to go. Yep. So Sandra Bullock, Benjamin Bratt, and... And John uh, Spartan. And John Spartan, they head off to the museum. And while they're in the car, they play the radio. Yes. <laughs> and basically, the only radio station that exists... That we ever hear, at least. I mean... Right. It, yeah. Is all commercials like radio commercials like um and they refer to it as the oldie station the oldie station yeah so it's like the oldie station it's all the commercials and like jingles and stuff right like oscar meyer like i wish i were an oscar meyer wiener armor hot dogs oh yeah that one um when they go to taco bell the guy is playing the piano and he's playing the jolly green giant yep so, yeah, so they go to the museum, there's a big shootout, and yeah, uh, a fight. The fight, actually, between John Spartan and Simon Phoenix is awesome. As soon as Phoenix is able to extricate himself yes. from the Hall of Violence, uh, Spartan is able to, like, get in there. He's able to get some guns, and he and then they have a big shootout in a, uh, like, a museum re- recreation of a 1990s street. Which is actually kind of a really cool, like, at first I was like, oh, this is just kind of stupid, because it's like, we can see them, whatever, fight in the, you know, it, it's just, it looks just like the fight scene from the beginning of the movie. Right. But, however, looking at it now, I was just thinking about this uh, when we watched it the second time, it's actually a really interesting uh, framing for that scene, because here you have two people that are essentially relics of their time in this future. And they're fighting in a fake recreation of their time. It's almost like it's like a zoo scene, you yeah. know? Because when you have, like, pandas at, like, the Brookfield Zoo, 
they're in this like faked recreation of what the jungle is like in Asia that where they would where they would be in their natural habitat. So it's almost like Spartan and Phoenix are animals in a fake habitat yes. in this fight scene. And I think that's a really cool way of doing it and that actually makes it very interesting. Yeah, me. because they're both relics. They're both mm-hmm. like men out of time at right. this point. Yeah. Phoenix escapes. Phoenix is able to get away, and as he's escaping, he runs into Dr. Raymond Cocteau. Along with uh, his, like, assistant, uh, Bob? Associate Bob. That's right, Associate Bob. Uh, played by Glenn Shaddix. The, Shaddix, the father from Beetlejuice? Or he's, he's no, the he's interior the, designer. He's the interior designer. Oh, from, yes. yes. The father from Beetlejuice is the pedophile guy from yes. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That, That's right. Exactly. Um, Jeffrey yeah. Jones. Jeffrey Jones. <laughs> Ooh, he's a bad man. Yes. So, yeah, so they, he runs into Cocteau, and this is where all of a sudden, uh, Cocteau has his heel turn. Yep. And it's revealed that he's the one that programmed Simon Phoenix to escape and to go and kill Dennis Leary. Yeah, because basically what happens is Phoenix, who has a gun, says, hey, I don't, you know, who's this stupid old guy? I'm just going to kill him. What the hell? Mm-hmm. It'll be fun. But he can't. He can't well, he, pull the trigger. He misses the first time. He says, he's like, oh, I missed. It's like, oh, that's weird. And then he goes, gets right up in his face and he can't pull the trigger. So, yeah. like, there's programming that's preventing Simon Phoenix from killing Dr. Cocteau, yeah. which is the only smart thing that Cocteau does in his plan. Pretty much. Because the rest of Cocteau's plan is awful. It's yeah. a stupid, stupid plan executed by this guy that apparently has this utopian vision, but he hates Dennis Leary so much that he jeopardizes the lives of everyone in his city. Yep. You know? Yeah, so because basically Cocteau's after the kind of showdown where Cocteau's like, don't you have something you should be doing? Yep. And Simon Phoenix has these visions of Edgar Friendly, which yep. is Dennis Leary's character. And Mr. Edgar Friendly. Yeah, he uh, is basically the leader of, they call him the Scraps, Yeah, I think. Yeah. They live, uh, they live underground and they like, they rob the food trucks and they mm. like kind of scrounge and try and live as best they can because they don't want to live under Cocteau's utopian plan. Right, because uh, they still want to eat meat and swear and have sex. Yes. <laughs> um, if you've ever seen a Dennis Leary stand-up special... Uh, Dennis Leary is playing himself in right. this film, yeah. <laughs> in this like utopian society. He, in fact, even gets a Dennis Leary rant about yes. doing a ton of weird things because <laughs> this is America. And he talks about smoking Cuban cigars while like naked and covered in like honey or whatever. Yeah. It's like in Lethal Weapon 4, because we keep talking about Lethal Weapon movies. Right. Because they exist in the same universe. They exist in the same universe. Uh, it's like in the Lethal Weapon 4 biopic uh, when Chris Rock's character all of a sudden just goes into a Chris Rock monologue, even though he's playing just like a regular, <laughs> right. like button down cop. And all of a sudden he's like doing a, the, like the whole like Chris Rock standup. And I'm just like, Oh, okay. So you're just going to do your standup bit now. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Phoenix runs off. And then this is uh, John Spartans also first encounter yep. with Dr. Cocteau. And Dr. Cocteau is so uh, happy with, with uh, Spartan saving his life, or he's acting happy because right. Spartan saved his life, that he invites him out to dinner that night at Taco Bell. And John Spartan, of course, has like the normal reaction when someone's like, thank you for saving my life. I'm going to take you to Taco Bell, which is to be a little confused. I wouldn't. If so, if I like save someone from like a burning building, they're like, oh my God, let me take you to Taco Bell. I'd be like, oh, fuck yeah. Let's get <laughs> queso lupas. But that's because I'm a simple man and I have simple, simple desires. 
And they go to Taco Bell, and it's super fancy. All the food is, like, artfully presented with drizzles of sauce and everything on it. The way I think about it, so they they say, you know, the after the franchise wars. The franchise wars. Oh, I love that. Taco Bell is the only restaurant that exists. So every restaurant is Taco Bell. So I imagine it. It's like almost like Famous Ray's Pizza, right, in New York, mm-hmm. where you have, like, original Famous Ray's, original Ray's, and stuff like that. Right. So all of the restaurants are Taco Bell, but not all of the Taco Bells are kind of the same. So you have, like, a casual Taco Bell, and this is, like, the fancy Taco Bell. And I think there are still the actual fast food Taco Bells as well for right. people who are on the go and need to go through a drive through Yeah. Um, but also, like, so this is something I was thinking about this just right now. All the food is very tiny and, and things like that, yeah. but they don't allow red meat. They don't allow things that are bad for you, so like cholesterol and things yeah. like that. So, like, coffee is outlawed. So, a lot of the food probably is all this, like, super organic, like, vegan friendly stuff. Tofu. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can live a with Taco Bell. Tofu quesalupa. I don't know if I can. I can. I don't know if I can handle tofu Taco Bell. Like <laughs> I, I don't want to think about like a grilled stuffed tofu Rita. Like I, I'm just like no. I I, don't, I I think that's where I'm like Ugh, I draw the line there. Um, but so anyway, they go to dinner there, and while they're at dinner, there is. Uh, the, or, the scraps, the scraps attack, and they uh, they're robbing the food truck mm-hmm. for Taco Bell. Um, so as Stallone goes out, he's able to uh, like knock a tent down on top of them after yeah. like beating up some guys, and then they escape. And he's like, ah, oh. Stallone's like, oh, they're just stealing food, and so he feels upset and conflicted about right. it. Meanwhile, Sandra Bullock is like so wet at the at watching John Spartan <laughs> beat up people. She is like super into it and like down a bone right after this yeah so they go back to their or john or no her to her apartment to her apartment which i believe just from plot convenience also ends up being in the same building yeah it's in this well because she got him she got him an apartment that's right when they on when they defawed him defrosted defrosted him Whatever you want to call it, <laughs> but dethawing him would be freezing him again. I guess yeah. I know I've made that mistake too. So. Yeah, you're like that would that would be like when they got him out of the hockey puck, they put him in the fridge so yeah. he slowly melts. Right. Yeah. Um, defro. I don't know. The point is that he's yeah. no longer frozen. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, he is. He no longer is letting it go. No. Um, so she gets him the apartment in her building and his is just like bare and just completely empty. Whereas hers has like a jukebox and all these 50s stuff and yeah. like more contraband that she stole from work or whatever. Yep. And she's like, yeah, let's have sex. And he's like, whoa, wait, what now? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I, I like you and it's, it's, it, it would be fun. So let's do it. It's bone o'clock. And she's like, I'll go put on something more comfortable and uh, you just make yourself comfortable. And he's like, okay. And they, oh, and apparently all the apartments have basically like a sunken living room. Yeah, yeah. They're... Which is, it's like, I'm like, okay, so we're going back to the 70s here. He sits down and prepares himself and then Sandra Bullock comes back in. Yep, she comes back in with these two headsets and she's like, here, put this on. And he's kind of like, uh, all right. Uh, this is the future. Maybe this will enhance the experience, you know, whatever. And so he puts it on and they start getting these like flashes. He starts getting these flashes of Sandra Bullock and like in the throes of passion. Honestly, the way it's filmed, 
It looks really painful. <laughs> it looks incredibly painful. And, like, he, like, keeps, like, blinking and, like, it flashes in and out with this, like, loud static noise. And, again, they're sitting, like, six feet away from each right. other. Right. And trying to do this, like, mental sex. Yeah. Um, oh, and the great thing I also think is hilarious about this part is you get to see Stallone making what I think is a vague approximation of his O-face. Yeah, you do get to see Stallone's O-face. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, I hope that's not what it looks like. I, and did you, <laughs> like, look in a mirror at some like, point? He was just, he, he has or did a, you think that that's what you look like, so that's what you're going to do? His poor wife. Yeah, right? In, in a lot of ways, Sylvester Stallone's poor wife. No, no, no. <laughs> I actually really like Sylvester Stallone, so I'm not willing to say bad things about him. Because he's great. I yeah. love this. Anyway, so Sylvester Stallone is, uh, John Smartin is just like, no, I can't, I can't do this mental sex anymore. This right. is stupid. And so he's just like, I thought we'd do it the old fashioned way. You know, the, 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 the naked mambo, the hunk of chunka. Yeah. Like, what is this? <laughs> what is like, there's no way anybody wrote those lines. They're just like, Sylvester Stallone was just like, I'm just going to ad lib a bunch of, a bunch of names for sex that I think about. Uh, yeah. The hunk of chunka. I know. Got hunk-a- it. Perfect. Chunka. Which I, I, if that's, if he's like, if he's like, yeah, hunk of chunka, that is a perfect description of having sex with me. I don't ever want to see so Sloan having sex with anybody. Like, if that's where he's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, hunk of chunka. That's the sound. Totally. That's the sound that oh. happens. Good God. <laughs> oh. So she refuses his efforts <laughs> yeah. for the, the hunk of chunka. The swapping of bodily fluids. Oh. Yep. That idea for her is just so beyond the pale. Cannot handle it. Um, and so then right after that, we get Simon Phoenix coming back to see Dr. Cocteau. And um, we made a, made a couple references to this earlier, but I'm going to talk about this. So um, Warner Brothers disliked the first cut of the movie. Yeah. So they brought in editor Stuart Baird to do some re-editing. And not just reshoots, like just editing of the film. But I bring this up because... Um, Right before the Taco Bell scene, we see Simon Phoenix go down into the sewers, and he's dressed normally. Yeah, it's basically after he confronts Cocteau. Yeah. yeah. And then after the sex scene, uh, Simon Phoenix is in Cocteau's office, and he's wearing this, like, Road Warriors garb, you know, uh, stuff. Like, so he looks like an 80s, you know, WWF wrestler. And he's just like, oh, you know, you didn't, what's John Spartan doing here? And he's like, I'm going to need some guys, you know, I'm going to need some goons to take out Edgar Friendly. Mm-hmm. I assume that there's something that happened that got edited out of the film, but it's just, it's this like weird thing where it's just like, right. Simon Phoenix goes down in the sewers to kill Edgar Friendly, decides he's like, ah, I'm going to need some guys, but I better take these clothes with me. Right. And just like went shopping, I guess, in the sewer. Yeah. My, I guess my personal theory for that scene or that whole disconnect mm-hmm. is that he goes and tries to kill Edgar Friendly. But because, as we see a little bit later, the scraps are armed. definitely armed. Yep. They have guns. They're they're willing to use violence. They're like pipe. They're like the raiders in yeah. Fallout because yeah, exactly. they have like pipe pistols and things like that. Sure. And so I think he maybe goes and tries to kill him, but fails. Mm. And he maybe kills a few scraps, mm-hmm. like trying to get to Edgar Friendly, and maybe steals some of their armor and yeah. their garb. And then he realizes, all right, I can't do that. I can't do this on my own. I've got to get some help because these people actually are willing to fight as opposed to all these 
pansies upon the right. surface. <laughs> just... And so I think I and that's my personal thing about what happens. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So yeah, so and then we so... get that next point where you know, he basically convinces Cocteau to give him access to, yeah. uh, to he, he gives defrost, him a list. defrost all these other criminals. Yeah, and, and former governors of Minnesota. Yes. Or future governors of Minnesota. At this point, At yes. this point. Yeah. So I'm going to actually just jump ahead to when we see the gang that's been defrosted for Simon Phoenix. So they're hanging out at like a pool table, which I can only assume is in the sewers because they're yeah. also drinking beer. And it's Jesse Ventura and then like two or three other like goons. Just and they look like they're just goons. Yeah, and then a bunch of women. So my question is this: <laughs> Did they go into the sewers where they're like, "This is where Edgar Friendly is," but we're gonna drink his beer, we're gonna play pool, and we're gonna get like pick women up from the scraps or whatever to hang out and like be like all sexy? Or did they defaw some honeys to yeah. like bring with them? Like they're just like, we need to get some women with us, right? Don't want to turn this also criminals who yeah. have been frozen in the cryo prison. Yeah, he if he had like two lists where he's just like governors that I want as as my thugs, and then also a list that's just like uh, we need like we don't want to turn this into a sausage fest. So <laughs> let's get like a couple women that are arrested for like murder or whatever. Bring them along too, right? That's what I'm wondering, <laughs> because we never see them. We never see the ladies later in the shootouts and stuff. Right. Well, and so, I mean, there's that scene that happens. And then so the next thing we get is because after the abortive sex scene right. happens, Sandra Bullock throws out John Spartan, basically, from her party. Oh, yeah, She's yeah. like, get out of here right now. You and your actual having physical sex you're such a caveman. I don't want to ever have hunka chunka with you. Yeah. No one, no one wants to have hunka chunka. <laughs> I mean, because it sounds like a Ben and Jerry's flavor. Oh God, like the worst <laughs> Ben and Jerry's flavor. It's yeah. just got like I don't even want to think about what's in it. Yeah, right. Exactly. I, this is not an ice cream that you want. Nobody wants that. <laughs> um, yeah, he goes. He goes home, and we get '80s, '90s action movie staple of boobs. Yep, yep. There, that one random scene. Where we're going to have boobs just because we can have boobs and it's an R-rated movie. And she's doing like a, so like, she's it's like a video call. This woman's like calling up her boyfriend and she's like naked and stuff. And I'm yeah. just like, this entire future is like, makes no sense. Because it's like, <laughs> why would you be naked for that video call if you're never going to actually have sex? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, this is all just one giant cocteau tease yeah. is all it is. That's what the future <laughs> is. Oh, for shame. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, and then he also, like, finds... He goes to his apartment, and first of all, well, he trips because the lights are, like, voice-activated. He yep. doesn't think to, like, say, lights on when he comes in, and he trips into the sunken, <laughs> yeah, like, falls. living room. And he's like, why is there a sunken living room everywhere? I would do that all the time. Like, even if I lived there for, the for the, for, like, my entire life, I would fall into that thing constantly i guess it's it makes more sense because they don't like have alcohol and people don't get drunk anymore sure so whatever but i'm just trying to think of like if i had a sunken living room i know there are multiple nights when i come home on the weekends from being at a party or at a bar with friends that i would probably break my ankle <laughs> even just like out late yeah. like i didn't drink at all last night i went to bed at like one i was still just like uh so tired that I like almost like ran into like the uh, the wall instead of going through the doorway. <laughs> I mean, like that stuff happens, right? So like I would have just I would probably I would 
kill myself multiple times with those sunken limit like <laughs> you get a coffee rooms. table it's like probably like your head would just go right oh, into that thing god forget about it if you had like a glass coffee table like you're just asking for like to commit suicide well one of the fun things we find at this point too is that he finds in a drawer like a ball of yarn oh yeah yeah and knitting needles and- I I'm going to so I'm going to bring the the knitting thing so uh that's that's his reprogramming his, when yeah his in, rehabilitation when right. he was under in the cryo freeze he got that, knitting skills and yeah. Simon Phoenix got like jujitsu and now he knows Well yeah, that's, yeah, that's the stuff. big plot point coming um, up yeah. but uh so he he sits down with one one singular ball of yarn yeah. and he knits Lenina Huxley a sweater overnight absolutely not as <laughs> my mother knits all the time like yeah. constantly she's knitting right now as we record this and she's also knitting right now as she listens to it i guarantee <laughs> you it so she constantly knits so she also makes like sweaters and things like that right it would have taken him at least six balls of yarn to make that sweater and that's being generous if he's like able to like make it like big knitting or whatever it also would have taken him weeks you know, yeah. days. He can't overnight. I don't care how programmed you are. <laughs> you're not going to knit an entire right. sweater overnight. Like, that's insane. Like, yeah. that's, a, that's so much. And that's the thing is, like, that's the big, one of the big plot points where they start to figure out what's going on. Because the next day, Spartan realizes he's like, okay, why, why did I knit a sweater? And she tells him, oh, this is your rehabilitation. And he's like, okay, wait a second. Let's look. I at- remember Simon Phoenix. He was a bad motherfucker back in the day. He wasn't a judo master. Yeah, he was not a martial arts super soldier. Yep. And so they go to the file and look, and all of these things that were programmed into Simon Phoenix while he was in cryo-freeze, obviously by Dr. Cocteau, and to make him the perfect killing machine. And that's when they they figure out it must be to go and kill... Edgar Friendly. So it's yep. like, okay, well, that's what's next. Here's the thing about Cocteau's plan. Because I was going to talk about, I said I was going to talk about this. Cocteau's plan makes zero fucking sense. Yeah. Because Edgar Friendly is one dude. Yes, he has a lot of scraps. He has a lot of people with him. However, still one person. Why, why, why would you take a guy who's already like a vicious, violent sociopath and give him this giant laundry list of things? He doesn't have to know like Kung Fu and Judo and stuff in order to kill Edgar Friendly. Yeah. Like he's not going to challenge him to like a blood sport competition and like (laughs) rip his throat out at the end. Right. Like, so you, you're taking a guy who's already violent and dangerous and you're making him even more dangerous, like to a level that you do not need him to be to a point where Great. I'm glad that Cocteau is immune or Phoenix can't kill Cocteau because of the programming. Terrific. However, he didn't you didn't do that for all the other innocent people in your city. And you also probably didn't include a fail safe to, like, make him fall asleep or whatever. Like if you would have built in safeties into Simon Phoenix's brain where then you can turn him off when you're done using him. That's fine. If Simon Phoenix kills Edgar Friendly, what is Cocteau's next step? It's like in the Simpsons episode when they're all the frogs are running around yeah. and they're like, oh, well, we'll get well, we'll get snakes to to kill the frogs. It's like, well, <laughs> but then you have all these snakes everywhere. It's like, oh, well, that's OK, because ah. we'll bring hawks in to kill the snakes. <laughs> well, now you've got all these hawks. So, like, killing Edgar Friendly by introducing this insane maniac ah. is just changing a guy who's doing the right thing. And maybe you don't agree with him. OK. And you're exchanging that for a fucking maniac that goes around blowing up cop cars and killing innocent people. That is 
absolutely bonkers to me. Well, and the other thing, too, is that Edgar Friendly, the scraps, they're not really that much of a threat. No. They occasionally steal food, food trucks. Yeah. You know, and it... It's an, it's an annoyance, and you're getting a mass murderer to deal with it. Right. I, that's, that, that's the biggest thing, is that it's just like, it's not very... To me, it's very clear in the movie that the scraps are not a threat to Cocteau's utopia and that way of life. Right. They just want to live their own lives in the sewer. Yeah. Also, it's been 20 years before anyone's committed murder. So no matter what the scraps are doing, they're not violent about it. Yeah. Nobody is dying until you defaw a maniac. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Why Why would you do this? Yeah. I mean, it's like he's so... It, it just shows you that for all this utopian vision that Cocteau has created, he is still at his core... He is not a good person. He mm-hmm. is not a nice man because he sees this one person so like ideologically opposed to him mm-hmm. that it and it frustrates him so much that he's willing to just be like, nope, I want to kill that guy. Well, we were talking about before <laughs> where he's the warden from Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Like he's the, the characters are very similar and, and it's true. For all we know, Edgar Friendly called Cocteau obtuse one time. Yeah. And that's like, that's the, it's like, oh, I got to kill this motherfucker. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so anyway, um, because they find out this information. Then they um, go into the sewer. Yeah. They go to, they go underground because they're like, wait a second. They know it's Cocteau. Yeah. Because that... he says to <clears throat> Edgar Friendly when they meet up with him, he's like, I think Cocteau wants to kill you. They go in underground and this is where uh, there's uh, the great scene where Stallone he smells meat. Oh, and, yeah. And he's there's like, oh, this, I like, could go for a burger. Street vendor selling burgers. And he's like, oh, this is great. And he gets a burger. And uh, I think it's Benjamin Bratt who's like, um, that's not. You don't see any cows. Yeah, oh, I know. I think here. he, like, Benjamin Bratt mentioned something. And then, like, Sandra Bullock is like, do you see any cows? And he's like, wait, well, what is it? And she's like, oh, it's a rat. It's rat. Yeah, and so uh, the rat burger, he actually thinks is pretty good. Yeah, because he has like, a burger in, like, uh, you know, f- almost 40 years. He like coughs and he's like, it's not bad. And he eats the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the best part. Well, and he gets, it, uh, he gets a cold beer, too, yep. which to get, wash a, that down. gets a beer. So then they're in the sewer, yep. and uh, they that's where they finally encounter Edgar Friendly. And that's where we get the big Dennis Leary doing his stand-up monologue routine <laughs> thing. Um, which is great because, I, well, I okay, I really like Dennis Leary. I like his stand-up a lot. Um, Rescue Me is a great show. It was a great show. It's not airing anymore. So Dennis Leary's act is actually really good, and it really fits for Edgar Friendly. Because as I said before, Edgar Friendly's the good guy in this. Um, he's absolutely right. You should be able to, to live and do what you want and things like that. I mean... He goes a little overboard with it because he's like, I'd rather live in the sewers where I can smoke cigars and like whatever <laughs> than I would then live up in Cocteau's like world. And I'm like, I get that. You know, Edgar Friendly is a is a guy that you can really get behind. But then as they have this meeting and uh, and Swiss Sloan basically tells him, like, I don't really care what you do. Go ahead and like, you know, live down here. I don't give a shit. However, Simon Phoenix is out to kill you. And then that's when Simon Phoenix and Jesse, the body of Ventura and the others show up and they're like, oh, well, let's just and they just get into a gigantic firefight in the in the sewer. And this is uh, apparently in this scene, uh, Swiss Sloan is protecting a woman in it like he runs and like tackles and gets her out of the way. 
that's his daughter from the original cut of the movie. Right. So this is one of those things that kind of survived the editing of it, where it's like, if you're wondering, wait, why is Sosa Stallone carrying this woman, like, out of there? Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that happens. Um, apparently, they also cut out a big fight scene between Jesse Ventura and Sosa Stallone. Why? Why would you cut that scene out? That's like... Know. I mean, for all I'm sure of the good that Stuart Baird did when he came in to edit this movie, sure. I do have to say, I think, dude, you you made a mistake there because yeah. I think we all would like to see that big old throwdown between Jesse Ventura and Sylvester Stallone. Also, it's like, you know, in the theatrical cut of the film, Jesse Ventura is there for like two scenes. Yeah. He's there in the first scene when they're talking to him. And then later we see him when they're back at Cocteau's office. Yep. So it's like, if that's it, like that's, that's crazy. But like, if there was actually a big fight scene between him and John Spartan, like that would be, that would have been pretty cool to see. Yeah. So I'm, I'm bummed that that, I'm bummed that that got cut out because I would actually really like to see that. Big firefight showdown, but eventually, again, this is another point where things don't go his way, and Phoenix basically just runs, just punks out, yeah, you know, and he runs away. And they he goes back to the surface, and they, uh, while they're there, and like it's, I think it's like right before Stallone gets the burger, they found a like Camaro. I can't remember exactly which car it is, but it's an old muscle car. Yeah. And um, he's even more impressed by Huxley a little bit because she knows exactly what it is and the type she of loves engine. muscle cars. Yeah. And I mean, because she is such a big fan of pre cocteau yep. civilization and um, basically what they do. And this is a great thing because when they're need to get back to the surface and they're like, we got to get after Simon Phoenix. Um, they, <laughs> realize that this car is in an old elevator yes and why is the car in an elevator i don't know who knows it's this cares it's like an old (laughs) elevator but how they get to the surface is the elevator busts through the floor of a building up on the surface world and it's like the ground floor of like a car dealership yeah it's like it is a car dealership but it's like it busts through but there's nothing above it and I mean, I guess, yeah. yes, there are elevators that do work. I think, like, I have one in the building I live in that they are hydraulic. They they don't have, like, a sure. winch and counterweight system. But I'm like, I don't think this is how elevators work, guys. No, you, need, you still need an elevator shaft for hydraulic elevators. Otherwise, yeah. you would never be able to get it back down. Right. Like, yeah. you can't, like... It it breaks through and then, but it's like, but there's like a cage on top. You would not have been able to take that elevator back down if there wasn't a shaft around it. Right. Yeah. So the fact that it breaks through the floor yeah. is insane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm and like, like, just yeah. When we rewatch it, I'm like, yeah, I really don't think that's how elevators work. <laughs> it's not how elevators work. I can guarantee you that. Um, but then we get into a big car chase with Simon Phoenix and John Spartan. Uh, Spartan is eventually able to get onto because Simon Phoenix stole their cop car. He steals a police car, yeah. yeah. So uh, Spartan is able to jump onto the police car and like rip the door off and stuff, and he's fighting with Phoenix. And as they're fighting, Phoenix admits what we kind of all assumed yep. is that the bus passengers were all dead already. He'd already killed them. He'd already killed them before John Spartan showed up and in just, the 90s. Like basically put them there to blow up the building yeah. and frame Spartan. And I kind of wonder, like, how. 
what what kind of forensic lab do they have in 1996 right. that you couldn't have figured that out? Because I mean, yeah, I like mean, unless it's unless the fire and they, it was they, it was just down to their dental records, maybe, maybe. But I feel like when they, I feel like we see them bring one of the bodies out, and it's like a body still, and it's like very visible, like not a horribly charred limb is like sticking yeah, out of the body Yeah, you can bag. get time of death from that. That's one thing, but I mean, I and maybe I'm spoiled by watching a lot of Law & Order, which my wife and I like to do, and I mean, and I don't know if that's completely accurate, but from what I understand, any sort of trauma, like an explosive trauma to the body, like if it's a, a corpse already, you would be able to tell. Oh, yeah, that yeah. You would be like, Oh well, there's no bruising, or it's like there's no like evidence of this person bleeding, right? Because of these ex- wounds from an explosion. So I'm pretty sure forensic scientists can say, "Oh no, this person was already dead when they were in this explosion." Yeah. And so it's like I know it's a contrivance for the movie, but especially in this era of so many criminal procedurals and things like CSI, yeah, and bones and all of the and castle and stuff like that where it's like no so yeah it's just bad bad police work by the csis uh is why john spartan gets frozen basically so yeah so then phoenix goes back to cocteau's place and he's got his gang in tow and so you know dr raymond cocteau is like oh well you you can't kill me and you're supposed to kill edgar friendly or whatever and uh phoenix is like yeah you're right uh, I guess I'll just have one of these other murderous thugs shoot you instead. And Gakuto's like, oh, I don't know why I didn't see this coming. <laughs> so he gets right. So he gets murdered because it's like, again, Dr. Raymond Cocteau is able to do all these amazing things for civilization. Yet he's like a dumb, dumb person. And he just gets murdered by Jesse the Body of Ventura. And they just chuck his body into like the, the fire, fire pit. And uh, as, as uh, often happens when you have underlings, Associate Bob is very much like, oh no no, I'm I'm all on board for your uh, now future dystopia that you wish yeah. to create, Simon Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> Allow me to be of service to you, yeah, and I'll, just switches sides yeah, immediately. I'll I'll, uh, I'll manage all that. I'll do all your number crunching and uh, all the accounts. I'll just Damn. take care of it. <laughs> oh, cold blooded, Associate yeah. Bob, okay. and I, like Associate Bob, I think gets away in the end. Like, yeah. I don't know if he gets, I mean, I don't think he dies. He may, maybe he ends up getting punished. No, no, he doesn't because he joins up with Dennis Leary. Oh, Remember Dennis right. Leary yeah. like makes fun of him for his robe and his clothes and stuff. So associate Bob gets away scot-free. He shifts allegiances twice. Uh, yeah. Cause he goes from oh, Cocteau God. to Phoenix and then at the very end, Phoenix to friendly. Right and he's to like, friendly. I will, uh, I'll help you run oh. your now future dystopia. And he just like <laughs> gets made fun of by, uh, Dennis Leary. And I'm like, this guy, that motherfucker should be going to prison. Yeah. Uh, but so, uh, associate Bob goes with Simon Phoenix and his gang to the cryo prison to unfreeze a bunch more like thugs and stuff, except, well, there's a little mini shootout. Yeah. Um, Spartan and Lenina Huxley are able to take out a couple of the goons at Cocteau's place. Right. And that's where Stallone's like, well, I'm going to have to do this. And so he knocks out uh, Sandra Bullock and like leaves her there because she's a woman. She can't handle it. Yeah, she can't. She can't fight because she's a lady. And that's like, you know, it's like we talked about a little with Top Gun. I'm kind of like, it's like for the most part of this movie, you know, she's pretty capable because she's shown as the one who knows how the future works. Mm-hmm. And she kind of 
will do some of the stuff with the computer when he's like trying to figure out patterns of where to look for Simon Phoenix or what's going on. But then when it gets to the point where it's like, uh oh, there might be some more. There's this is going to when the ultra violence is going to happen. Yep. Oh nope. Zoop. Oh, got to knock her out and make sure she stays safe because the, the man can go in and do the violence. Right. For the most part, the the Lenina Huxley, it, like you said, like she's very she shows very capable. Um, it's a very good, you know, uh, female lead. She does have the weird like Ziva tendencies from what is that NCIS mm-hmm. show or whatever. Mm-hmm. My mom watches it. Yeah, she's very into it. <laughs> but in that show or like in the movie here, Huxley uh, knows colloquialisms from the nineties. Yes. However, she says them wrong, so she's <laughs> like, "Let's go lick this guy's ass," <laughs> and so it's like, "Ha ha, it's hilarious." Yeah. Uh, but like, so that's her character. And there's something, thing. the one with, uh, what does she say about blow him? Let's go blow this guy. Let's go blow this guy away. Blow, blow this, this guy, guy away. away. And she just shrugs. Just <laughs> you know, like you shot that. You're like, well, you didn't want to do the hunk of chunka with Spartan. <laughs> right. So I doubt you want to blow Simon Phoenix. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> no, but so he knocks her out and he's like, I'm going to go and take care of this. Yeah. So, like, Simon Phoenix is unthawing people like Jeffrey Dahmer, and so Sloane's like, I can handle this with one gun by myself. And he just goes, and he, like, uh, it takes a maniac to catch a maniac, is what he says, as he puts his little beret on to go in and, like, go and fight crime. Big showdown fight in the cryo facility. There's lots of, uh, like, Simon Phoenix tries to refreeze Spartan. Where did Simon Phoenix's goons go? Yeah. Because Simon Phoenix is by himself for the most part. Like, mm-hmm. he, he shoots the guys that work at the cryo prison, the, like, yeah. the actual, like, scientists and, right. and, like, warden and stuff. But, like, nobody else is there. Like, none of Simon Phoenix's goons are there. And I'm just like, what happened yeah. to them? It's it's pretty it's pretty vague on that. Because I think they were might have gotten to the point where they were just like, again, you know, the editing. Right. I mean, it makes you wonder if there was another big action sequence that if they were like, we got to cut this for time, guys. Yeah, I mean. This movie is too long. It's possible. They're like, no one will care what happened to Simon Phoenix's goons. Well, I care. Okay. <laughs> but so they get, so John Spartan gets in there. He's like, okay, and he and Phoenix have actually a really cool fight where Simon Phoenix is using the claw thing that they use to pick up frozen mm-hmm. goons and stuff. Uh, he uses that to grab John Spartan. And again, we see the fact that no one can shoot at all <laughs> because he's like firing wildly and like completely missing him, even though he's held in a, you know, basically a giant version of the claw game that you see at like Showbiz yeah. Pizza. Well, he's also got, there's like a laser thing that they use to like, I think, cut. Oh, yeah, yeah. Got prisoners out of some of the ice and, like, cut the ice chunks. So he's like, using that. So there's, like, lasers and all that. But um, it finally gets to the point where the um, he realizes that he's got the... Uh, there's one of the uh, pellets they use to freeze people. Oh, yeah, yeah. And John Spartan figures out that, oh, wait, maybe I can use this. Because he sees there's, I think it's like there's a bunch of water. That's Every, everybody is like covered in, everything is covered in water right yeah. now for some reason. Because, well, there's like steam and condensation. Yeah. Ice, and the gun, yeah, and like the guns going on and things like that. So like there's, you know, water is everywhere. Uh, and Simon Phoenix is getting ready to like stab him or something. And so Spartan grabs that, smashes it on the ground and starts freezing everything. 
and he grabs onto the arm, the, that's, claw. the claw that's still spinning around like like a carousel ride. Spinning around wildly, and he's able to. And he's like, "Hey, heads up!" And he kicks him in the head. And that brings me to the last thing that I really wanted to talk about, which is how much foreshadowing there is in this movie. And that is actually one of my favorite parts. Like for an action film script, Demolition Man is actually really well written. In the f- opening scene, um, Simon Phoenix says, I'll, "I'd lose my head if it wasn't attached." And Spartan says, I'll remember that. And then in the end scene, he kicks his head off. And it's just like <laughs> one of those little things where I'm like, ah, that's great. I enjoy it when they do like callbacks and stuff. Uh, also in that scene, before Simon Phoenix sets the big fire that engulfs the building in the opening scene, he says, oh, is it cold in here? Or is it just me? <laughs> and that's what Spartan says to Phoenix when he gets to the cryo prison. Yep. I'm like, ah, I love that. I love the little like call- callbacks and stuff. It's it's uh, yeah. The script of this is actually really good for, you know, for an action movie. He defeats Simon Phoenix, which is great. And they come out and everybody's like seeing the cryo prison explode, basically. Yeah. <laughs> everything's ruined. And uh, Bob he's the Gunton, demolition man. Yeah, he is. He's got to demolish everything. And so Bob Gutton is just freaking out the the police captain and he's like what will we do now what what is yeah, happening dr cocteau is dead yeah, what will become of our society everything's gonna just be awful and dennis leary's like oh we're gonna get buck naked we're gonna smoke cigars and shoot fireworks off <laughs> and uh so someone's like no stop it <laughs> you be less crazy you guys get more crazy and it's like and work your way to the middle right and so the idea is like the scraps and the everybody else are going to like become a unified society a unified normal society where people can eat meat again and have, <laughs> and have sex. sex yeah exactly and then uh it ends with uh well associate bob turning yep. turning face again and yes. joining up with edgar friendly right and then uh so alone and sandra bullock head off for a little hunk of chunka yep uh because he does kiss her yes and she's like oh i like this this is oh, okay this is this is what this is all right i could be on board with this and then he's like just wait there's more and she's like more and then <laughs> then it implied hunk of chunka happens yep. oh, <laughs> it's just such an awful term it's an awful term <laughs> so some final like fun facts yeah. about demolition man uh simon phoenix's role was originally offered to jackie chan Right. But Jackie Chan turned it down because he didn't want like Asian audiences to, you know, associate him as a as a villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a reference to Jackie Chan in the film where uh, Sandra Bullock is able to do like karate kicks and stuff. And he's like and uh, Spartan is like, well, where'd you learn how to fight like that? And she's like, oh, from watching Jackie Chan movies. <laughs> so that's like a fun yeah. little thing. I also like the fact that. The original Lenina Huxley was Lori Petty, yes, who was actually cast, and she filmed a couple. And she filmed a bit, and I they must have seen some dailies and just went nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> she got uh, she got Eric Stoltz uh, from yeah. Back to the Future right. in this movie. So, yeah, yeah, but um, which is crazy. Uh, so like. The fact that Lori Petty would have been the love interest in Demolition Man and Point Break just, like, blows my mind. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, and uh, Jack Black shows up in one scene oh, as, yeah, as a member scraps. of Edgar Friendly's gang. Yeah, he's one of the scraps. Um, and apparently, this is the something else that I love. Um, Nigel Hawthorne, it's, it's said in the trivia thing, Nigel Hawthorne did not get along with Sosis Stallone or Wesley Snipes. <laughs> And so it's just funny to me because I'm like, those are the two they name. 
So in my mind, that means that he and Sandra Bullock were really good friends. But also that means that like Nigel Hawthorne and Dennis Leary were like pals. <laughs> and like the idea of the two of them being pals, because they didn't explicitly say they didn't get along. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, that's it. Nigel Hawthorne and Dennis Leary were like buddies during the filming of Demolition Man. Well, and and also it, it but it kind of works though, because yeah. he's so contemptuous to both of them, to even both. to Simon Phoenix, who he's hired, oh or like he, well, he's defrosted to do his dirty work. He's so full of contempt for him he's and a John huge Spartan. asshole yeah. to uh, to both of them, but right. like especially to Simon Phoenix. I'm like, I don't not blame Simon Phoenix for killing him. I'm like, yeah, that guy was a fucking dick to you. Yeah, and so uh, so well, I guess the big question, and now that we're you know we've covered a lot of the our talk about the movie, is you know, how do you feel? Do you, do you, does it hold up for you? I like this movie less as an adult than I did as a kid. Okay. Um, as a kid, it's really easy to just kind of ignore uh, all of the various problems uh, with, <laughs> with the thing. Um, but as an adult, uh, so in my comics and stuff, a lot of the things that I really like is world building. Yeah. Um, I have a, a lot of background information on all of the all of the comics that I do. I have a lot of background information on not just the characters, but the world they inhabit and things like that. I appreciate when you spend a lot of time developing the worlds. And I feel like that's a big problem in Demolition Man. I feel right. like the world itself is not very well thought out at times. That's not to say that the movie isn't good. I, as I said before, I feel like the dialogue and the script is really good. The mm. performances are great. Um, it's a very fun movie. I've seen this movie like 30, 40 times. Like I've seen it a lot. Um, yeah. And in fact, I own it on DVD and I still to this day will watch it when I right. feel like it. I just personally think that I liked it better as a kid and I just don't think it holds up as well. Yeah, no, I think that's the big thing. And I think even when I first saw it, maybe, you know, being a little older, there was just, and I also am a big fan in fiction. I read a lot of the science fiction. One of the big draws for me, like I'm why I like a Song of Ice and Fire, aka Game of Thrones. There's a, a novel series called The Expanse mm -hmm. that they made a television series out of, and both of those are very heavy on the world building. Yeah, and so I am very much also a fan of very well thought out and constructed worlds. And I think there are just a few missteps in this movie that they make. And one of them, like we've mentioned the, the idea that it's such a short period of time mm -hmm. is, I think that's a flaw. I feel like it should have been longer Yeah, because I mean, I feel like they kept it like that just so you could have the old version of Zachary lamb. Yes. As the as to, the to tell everybody pilot. about John Spartan, right? Which the same thing could have been done by just Lenina Huxley being very well versed in the 20th century, right? And again, like we said before, I feel like I I feel like another reason why they did that was so that um, so the Sloan's daughter. daughter could be yep. a thing. Um, and instead, because they edited it all out, instead it's just like there's references to his daughter being alive, right. and then nothing ever happens. Of right. And I think it would have been even better and more and more interesting story to tell had it still have his daughter in it but like you said have it be an older actress mm -hmm. you know have it be a woman who's in her 60s well, and so it's much further in the future and i think that's a more interesting dynamic to where play. she's like she's like cable to his cyclops where his yeah. the, the child then is like 20 30 years older than the father right I and i think like that'd be a much a... more interesting story than having them be what rough 
like in this one, it was probably roughly the same age. Or she was like a little younger than him. Yeah. No, she would have been. She would yeah, have maybe the same slight, age. Or the same age or slightly older, maybe. Yeah, depending on how old she yeah. was when he got frozen. Right. Um, yeah. But I mean, I like that idea of she's a lot older. Right. And that plays up that interesting dynamic because, oh, I missed basically your entire life. Because yep. if they meet when they're roughly the same age or maybe she's slightly older or whatever, it's still, there's still a lot of her life left for right. him to reconnect with her and everything. But if she's in her 60s or 70s, that's big. And that's a big change. And I mean, it maybe like, this isn't the movie to explore that kind of yeah. dynamic because it's still kind of lighthearted, fun action flick. But I think it would have made for a more interesting story. It's true. And again, like a little of the little things we looked at where if you sit down and think about the movie, you're going like like the museum where it's like, yeah, why would you keep ammunition and explosives? This yeah. just doesn't like actual live rounds and yeah. live explosives. This makes zero sense at all. No one would ever do this. And that's the thing about Demolition Man is that like the more you think about it, like the less stuff makes sense. Right. Um, you know, which is fine for an action movie because, you know, as you're watching it, you're not really thinking about yeah. it. Um, I still think in terms of, like, if you're looking at, like, the 90s action movies as, like, a thing, I still think Demolition Man is one of the best. I think it has issues and mm -hmm. it's problems, and that's fine. They all do. Yeah. So I would highly recommend watching this movie if you haven't seen it. If you have seen it, go back and watch it again because it's awesome. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, and I think that's a very interesting point, too, is, like, for, and I think, I wonder if that's, and it'll be interesting to see as we go along and rewatch some of these movies, because I am very interested to see, because when we were talking about, a, like, Lethal Weapon in this movie being in the same universe, oh, yeah. one thing, and, you know, this could just be higher caliber of director and writer sure. working on Lethal Weapon, but Lethal Weapon, yeah, it's an action flick. But the story in Lethal Weapon holds together very well. Very well. Yeah. You know, with the, the idea of the like Vietnam veterans who get involved with the drug trade while yes. they're over there. And then when they come back to the States, they keep it going. And that's like a big heroin yeah. smuggling thing. And but the plot of that movie, I don't feel like has as many, if any, because I really like Lethal Weapon, and that'll probably be one we talk about eventually, but yeah. that movie really holds together very well, and I wonder if we might find if there's a dichotomy between the 80s and the 90s action films that... I wonder if the, maybe the 80s hold together a little more plot-wise sometimes. Well, but the because... other thing to think about, though, is that <clears throat> Lethal Weapon was done by Shane Black and Richard Donner. Oh, yeah. Whereas Demolition Man was done by Marco Brambilla. Yeah. What other films has he done? Yeah. Uh, I can't think of it. Right. Because <laughs> he's only done two, and his last one was Demolition Man. Right. So I don't know what he did before this movie. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, so, like, that's, I think, is the big difference. But, but that said, there is a big, we'll, we'll definitely see, like, a big sea change that happens between action movies in the 80s and then action movies in the 90s. There's a very big shift somewhere along the way, and I think it's the development of special effects. Yep. Um, particularly digital effects, mm -hmm. but also movies like Jurassic Park and things like that, where then PG-13 becomes the big moneymaker. Right. So in the 80s, you're allowed to do different things because the big moneymaker was R-rated action films. Yeah. And then as you get into the 90s, more and more and more, you're courting the children audience. And so then from like 
I think I'd say right before Jurassic Park, PG thirteen becomes the big money maker, right. and that's what the big shift happens. Yeah, and I think when you go for that younger audience, I mean, and not that this is necessarily right or the right thing to do, I think there's a sense among executives that you have to, in some way, also dumb down yes the plots yep for the younger people for the kids so it, it's not as complex it's not as involved and you don't have to pay as much attention and so yeah i think that's a very interesting thing yeah. to look at with the way movies change from the 80s into the 90s especially when it comes to action blockbusters yeah it'll so. be very cool to see kind of how that goes great so, yeah awesome well, hopefully everyone enjoyed this, and we will see you next time right. on Cinema Nostalgia. Yeah, have a good night, or whatever, day. <laughs> Nostalgia is produced by Dave Kelch and Warwick Johnson. You can find us on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. If you liked the episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. Our theme was written and performed by Andy Berlin and mixed and mastered by Peter Carparelli. For more info about the show, please visit cinemastalgia.com. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.